The Oklahoma Sooners might have a talented roster, but it's not for the reasons that places like Athlon Sports and 247 Sports are talking about. We'll talk about that. And is Oklahoma under the most pressure in 2023 as well on today's episode of Locked On Sooners? You are Locked On Sooners, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma Sooners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's up, Sooner Nation? Welcome to Locked On Sooners. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. FanDuel is the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Thank you for joining us. My name is John Williams. You can follow me on Twitter at John9Williams. My buddy here is Josh Helmer. You can follow him on Twitter at JoshOnRef. You can also hear him Monday through Friday from 9 to noon on 94.7 The Ref in Norman. So, Josh, it's that time of the year where we start evaluating rosters and determining who has the most talented roster. It's, a, it's an exercise that gets done every year by a lot of different publications. Athlon Sports, Steve Lassen and uh, Brad Crawford of 247 Sports kind of did – a little, you know, Brad Crawford kind of aggregated Steve Lawson's and then did some of his own uh, digging as well into this. But a lot of times when people look at talent on rosters, they're looking at recruiting rankings and how those extrapolate into the high school or sorry, into the college ranks. Uh, first of all, just kind of Oklahoma, it has the eighth best roster according to Lawson, Steve Lawson's uh, breakdown of all this. Um, for the 2023 season. Does that surprise you at all? What all does he take into account to come up with the best roster? So he's looking back at the last five recruiting classes. So from 2019 through 2023 and determines who has the best rosters. Alabama comes in at number one, Georgia, number two, LSU and Ohio state are tied for third, Texas, Texas A&M tied for fifth. Clemson and then Oklahoma uh, just in front of Oregon and Notre Dame. So the Sooners come in at eight. Um, their average recruiting ranking over the last five years was eight. Um, and, and so it's an interesting premise. And I wrote an article over at soonerswire.com that you can check out on this. I do think it's an interesting premise. If you're in Alabama or Georgia or an Ohio state where you're not experiencing a lot of turnover year to year, it makes a little bit of sense. If you're in Oklahoma, that one, a lot of the talent that you brought in in the 2019 to 2021 recruiting classes is no longer there. I'm speaking of you look back to the 2019 class and the and the top four prospects in that class or signees in that class are all gone. That's Spencer Rattler, Theo Wees, Trajan Bridges, and blanking on the other one. But I mean, four of those top five were gone. Stogner is the only one of the top five that's back. And he even went away for a year before coming back. Uh, you go to the 2020 class and I mean, you have your two top signees in that class in Nate Anderson and Andrew rain back Reggie Grimes, sorry, the top three, but none of those three has really kind of stepped into stardom. Andrew rain has been a good player, but has he been one of Oklahoma's best players? Not quite. Nate Anderson, who was the highest rated signee in that class, hasn't even become a starter yet. And Reggie Grimes had a really up and down first season as a starter. So there's a chance that he can ascend into something better. But uh, then you look at the rest of that class. And I mean, uh, Seth McGowan is part of that class. Um, 
Sorry, I'm going to find these real quick. Um, and it, it just, it was a class that didn't really um, live up. You know, the 2019 class didn't really live up to expectations. I mean, Spencer Rattler, the kind of biggest piece in that class was good, but he wasn't as good as you needed him to be. Uh, and then you go to Jaden Hazelwood, Theo Weiss, Trajan Bridges, that wide receiver trio that ev- got everybody so excited. And I mean, Theo Weiss led the team in receptions back in 2020, but otherwise, I mean, you, he missed a year in 2021 due to injury. This past season was relegated into a rotational role, transferred to Missouri. Jaden Hazelwood had a solid year in 2021 after dealing with some injuries himself. And then he goes to Arkansas uh, for last season and doesn't really do a whole lot. And then, you know, the Trajan Bridges thing is a story unto itself. Um, And then again, going back to 2020 and it's, it's just, again, it's, you look at the top five recruits, Seth McGowan. Okay. Marvin Mims was your number five signing in that class. Anton Harrison, number six. Well, those guys are off to the NFL. Uh, but other than that, you haven't really gotten um, big time contributions from just from really anybody. You know, Perry Winfrey was good for a couple seasons. He's gone. Um, you know, the the next best player in this class, maybe Josh Ellison after that, you know, after Andrew Rame and uh, those other guys that I already mentioned. But you're, you're just not getting the same contribution. And then you go to 2021 and this is the Caleb Williams class. Well, Caleb Williams, Clayton Smith, Mario Williams all transferred out. You still got Billy Bowman. You still got Savion Bird, Kelvin Gilliam, uh, Cody Jack- Jackson transferred out. This is the Jaleel Farouk class, Ethan Downs. So you still got a lot of guys that can contribute and become stars out of this class. But the, the cream of the crop of this class is gone. So when you look at the 2019 to 2021 re- recruiting classes, Oklahoma hasn't gotten the significant contributions from their top five signees that they've needed to, to have. And, and they're not even on the roster anymore for the most part. And I think that makes a big difference when you're talking about talented rosters. So if you're looking at those three classes and adding them into all of this to say Oklahoma's got a good roster, I think it's, it's, it's a little bit limited. And that's not to say that Oklahoma doesn't have a good roster based on what they've done in the transfer portal, the 2022 signing class, the 2023 signing class, because I do think they have a really good roster. I do think they have a lot of talent, but I don't think that, again, I do think that they've got some guys still from the 2021 class that are really good and are going to make significant contributions. Same with the 2020, but your, your star power, the guys that were at the top of those classes, they're not really around anymore. No, it's a it's a good point that you bring up, and I think the biggest takeaway for me from all of that is really we're having two different discussions. Who, which programs have recruited the best over the past five years? Okay, that's its own discussion. Where basically Oklahoma would be eighth on that list for the last five years is what we've discovered. Right now, roster strength today is a much different thing than who's recruited the best for the last five years. Because again, roster construction, John, it's not just the folks that have left Oklahoma and transferred to other places or the guys that you brought in these classes that haven't turned into definite difference makers for Oklahoma. It's guys that have gone, gone pro for Oklahoma. I mean, there's a bunch of different reasons that either folks that you thought were a four-star signee haven't necessarily lived up to a four-star signee or, Oh, by the way, they transferred or they've gone pro. So that's, I'm with you. It's a, it's an incomplete way to 
evaluate the roster. And oh, by the way, in today's day and age of football, John, Oklahoma, you have to factor in the transfers that they brought in. And and that's almost, I mean, that's hard to do because we've seen some of these guys do things at other places, but we haven't seen it yet at Oklahoma. And we did guys a year ago and found out, you know, some guys, maybe we had it spot on other guys out of the transfer portal. We thought we knew more about than actually we did. So it's, it, uh, I say that to get to this point, it's probably more difficult than ever outside of like the folks that are Georgia and Alabama, or maybe in Ohio state that are bringing all of these four, four and five star guys in and a, a bunch of five stars to say, okay, we know that they've got an incredible roster, right? I mean, the rest of it, there's so much turnover in college football, and there's so much unknown with some of the transfer portal additions, at least at Oklahoma, that we've seen the last two years that I think the I think the roster strength is good, and clearly Venables and company have improved it. They've be, begun to improve it. But to sit there and say, are they eighth nationally in that regard? Maybe. They might be, they might be ahead of that, John. They might be behind that. That's a tough question to answer. And I think I think they're in a good spot because of what they've done defensively in the transfer portal. You bring in guys like Bothroyd and McCullough and Reggie Pearson, and it does give you a bit of cachet to say, "Hey, we we've improved our defensive, you know, our defensive talent, adding what they've added in the 2023 class and in the 2022 class." I think there's a lot of talented kids in that 22 class as well. It's just that looking back at over you know the previous three years the pre-brent venable days the you know the last three classes of lincoln riley and yeah there's a few guys that are still or a lot of guys that are still making contributions but a lot of guys are gone and you know again as you mentioned some to the nfl others to the transfer portal some just didn't work out uh, but i think the evidence really comes in watching the outgoing transfers and where they landed there weren't a lot of big time opportunities for these guys you know, David Aguebu, he ended up at Houston. Clayton Smith ended up at Arizona State. Are those those were like two of the only, you know, power five options. And Houston's a brand new power five team. So the whole idea of Oklahoma having a talented roster, I don't mind the discussion. What I what I mind a little bit is when you look at the you know two four seven team talent, you know, composite rankings. Uh, I think that's what they call it. Yeah. Team talent composite from 2022. And you're going to sit there and you're going to tell me Oklahoma's got the ninth best roster based on recruiting rankings. Then you're going to ascribe blame to a coaching staff for not getting the best out of that roster. When, if you're basing it strictly on recruiting rankings, it's, it's a bit limited in because are, are these evaluations accurate? Again, you're, you're basing, your evaluation of a coaching staff on the evaluations of recruiting analysts. And again, we love our recruiting analysts. We love John Garcia, Parker Thune. These guys are awesome. They do great work, but a lot, a lot takes place between the time that they get that four-star rating, five-star rating. And when they start making impacts on the field. And if the player doesn't develop in a, in a linear progression, like people expect them to, then really that four star, that five star rating doesn't hold water anymore. So it's a, it's a hard way to, to say for me, it's hard to say, okay, Oklahoma's got a, a top 10 roster when if when it's just limited to what they were as high school prospects. I think that's, that's the part that I have a hard time with, especially given all the turnover that Oklahoma has seen over the last couple of years. 
especially on the coaching staff, what we perceive to be a lack of development at times. And just understanding like there's a lot that still needs to kind of turn over. And we saw it this off season, how much turned over from, you know, just year one to year two. So I don't know. I think it's a, it's a big conversation. It's kind of convoluted and it's a lot of just, um, I don't know. There's a lot of different moving parts in all of it, but I guess the point that I want to make is, is Oklahoma talented? Possibly, maybe, but I don't think it's because of recruiting rankings that they're talented. If they are talented, it's because they brought in good players that have production at the collegiate level, or they've got players that they're developing into good players, not necessarily because they were ranked as a four or five star player three years ago. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? No, it does. And I would just say for me, I, I don't know where Oklahoma ranks in terms of nationally talent, because it's, it, it's tough. Like you said, to figure all of that out relative to what the recruiting rankings were, who's actually still a part of this roster relative to just all of those classes put together. And then what they've added out of the transfer portal. Now, whether that was ninth this past season or whatever it is going into this season, I think you, I, and most everyone would agree Oklahoma did not relative to its talent, get the results that it needed to get a season ago. Now, did they have ninth best in the country talent? Okay. That's, that's up for discussion. And I don't know where they're at right now today. They're, they're climbing that ladder. I think in the right direction though, is the important thing for Oklahoma, John, but look, they've, they've overhauled 69% of the roster. I get that. You know, we can say 14 months. It's basically two off seasons that Venables has, has been a part of things here at Oklahoma where he's reshaping the roster, but uh, the, the numbers that he threw out his, at his press conference, it's 69, 70% of the roster is different than when they left the Alamo Bowl. So, uh, yeah, the, the talent reconfiguration in Oklahoma, it's tough to totally wrap your head around right now. I think it's trending in the right direction, but to sit there and, you know, based on the last five recruiting classes, have that Regis Philbin, here's your final answer. No, you can't do that based on the, based on the recruiting rankings. Well, and, and just one more point on this before we move on. And I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but if we look at the, you know, the two, four, seven team composite talent, team talent composite, here's the top 10 uh, from the 2022 roster. You got Theo Weiss, Wanya Morris, Bray Walker, Clayton Smith, Billy Bowman, Savion Bird, Key Lawrence, Nate Anderson, and Justin Broyles. I think that's 10, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 10. And then Gentry Williams is number 10. I mean, of those 10, you had three starters out of your top 10 based on the recruiting rankings. And so I think that's where like there's the flaw in the system is the recruiting rankings matter. The, the star ratings matter. But again, those are, those ratings are based on you know, personal evaluations and evaluators get things wrong all the time, whether it's NFL draft evaluators, it's pro scouts, it's college scouts. People get evaluations wrong all the time. And so to base a discussion on roster talent on subjective analysis to the, for the most part, it's hard to do. And, and, and I don't mind it. Like it's the only way we can say, okay, how, how talented is somebody, but unless you're willing to understand the limitations of that, then we can't go off and say, well, Brent Venables and his staff did a terrible job. 
2022 because Oklahoma had the ninth best roster in the country and they only had a six and seven record to show for it. Uh, that's, that's where I want to have that discussion is so Oklahoma might have the eighth best roster in, in 2023, but if they don't, it's not necessarily because the coaching staff failed. It's just because where we're at now, like two, three years down the road, if you're a 2020 signee, your four-star rating at this point doesn't matter. If you were a 2019 guy, your rating doesn't matter anymore. It's what you do once you're on campus. You got to live up to those ratings. And if you haven't done it by this point, you probably never will. Now, these guys can be late bloomers and things can happen late. But uh, I just think there's just a limitation in the study and a limitation in the analysis. But people want to take the analysis and extrapolate it out and then say, Oklahoma failed or the coaching staff is not good when I think we don't have enough information yet. And the, the grading is incomplete. Um, I do think that this is a talented roster for 2023. I love what they've done in the transfer portal. Obviously the recruiting class is awesome. I'm excited about the 2022 guys that are stepping up as to be second year players. Like give me some Robert Spears Jennings and some Gentry Williams. I'm pumped about those dudes. I cannot wait to see them get more playing time. Jaron Canick, like, there's so many guys, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But I think it, how we'll know that this is a talented roster is when they go win games in the fall. There's no doubt about that. And when we see those guys take snaps and produce with said snaps out of namely the 22 and 23 classes. And I would take it a step further when you say, okay, the, the 19, the 20, the 21 kids, you're no longer a four-star anymore, Right. I would just add to that and say, well, they also weren't recruited by this coaching staff right. for the most part. So we got to take that into consideration. I think a little bit just as not, I mean, obviously for the talent discussion, those, those names obviously would apply in that regard. But when you start talking about what are you getting out of the talent, this coaching staff, well, okay. They didn't recruit some of that talent either. So really we're, you know, hopefully things, you know, trending in a good direction, you'll be able to base how well this coaching staff is doing relative to the talent that it's brought in, you know, this season and beyond 24, 25, then we'll, then we'll really good, really get a, uh, a good idea. Yeah. Again, I believe this is going to be a talented group. I believe they're on, I've gone on record and think and said, they're going to have a bounce back season. I think they'll be back into big 12 title contention. I think they're putting together a really good team in Norman with this coaching staff. I think it's going to be a fantastic year this year coming up next. We'll talk about a team that is under the most pressure uh, for the 2023 season. And one of the analysts over at ESPN thinks it's Oklahoma. We'll talk about that after the break. It's the midway point of the NBA season right here. And now actually just a little bit beyond and it's the perfect time to download the FanDuel app. America's number one sports book because Hey, new customers, you get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. So just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app where it's safe, it's secure, it's super easy to use. You can bet on everything from the money line to point scores, threes drained, all of those all of those fun things. Plus, FanDuel, they even let you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss out on your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com backslash locked on. FanDuel.com backslash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. 
So I was trying to rack my brain, John, teams that I think would be under more pressure than Oklahoma this season. In the Big 12, I don't think there is one. Oklahoma is under the most pressure in the Big 12 conference entering this season. I know you got some schools that are joining the conference that obviously they want to plant their flag and say, well, you know, somebody like a, like a UCF, right, with their invisible national championship. This is their chance to say, hey, we can legitimately for a season play with the big boys. Cincinnati, guess what? They were, you know, the first group of five team to go into the college football playoff, and it did not go swimmingly when they got there. So, look, I get it. BYU, Houston, each have had moments throughout their history and, you know, recently where they've played good football and they want to make a statement joining a conference like the Big 12. So for each of those four newcomers, I can understand they probably feel as even a fan base, John, a great sense of pressure. But nobody in the Big 12 is under more pressure than Oklahoma because nobody in the Big 12 really failed greater than Oklahoma did in 2022. So coming off a six and seven season, there's a ton of pressure on Oklahoma. And I don't think there's anybody else in the big 12 that's under more pressure beyond that nationally. You know, I see some people saying Ohio state and Ryan day are under a lot of pressure and okay, that's fine. Well, and good, but they went to the college football playoff and weren't that far away from a national championship. So to me, I don't think they're anywhere in the same tax bracket as far as this is concerned with Oklahoma, I, I don't know who else I would say is under a lot of pressure. I mean, USC is under pressure because you've got the Heisman Trophy winner and it's time to make it pay off in Caleb Williams from a national perspective. But it's even that's like pales in comparison to the type of pressure that Oklahoma's got. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting argument. I do think Oklahoma is going to be under some pressure, but I, I don't know if it's any more than Lincoln Riley and USC because – you know, after, you know, Lincoln, after Caleb Williams goes off, you know, to the NFL, then you got to hope that Malachi Nelson is kind of the next guy. A lot of people think he is going to be the next guy, but this is kind of like Lincoln Riley's year. Like this is going to be the time to put it all together and get USC a Pac-12 championship and into the college football playoff before they go off to the big 10 and things get real, real, you know, and they, they're going to have to play some really tough defenses every single week and in some really difficult environments every single week where fans gonna, are going to be showing up to the games and cheering against your team and, and creating a very difficult atmosphere for your team to face. So, like, now's the time. It's in a similar fashion for Oklahoma. I mean, yes, Oklahoma is under a ton of pressure this year, too. they got to bounce back from 6-7. and seven. I think another team that could be under pressure in the Big 12 is Texas. Uh, we talked, We heard about the Steve Sarkeesian hot seat going into this season. They had an improved year. Can they take another step and get to Big 12 title contention? Or are they going to kind of stay middle of the pack or even backslide? Uh, I mean, Dave Aranda and the Baylor Bears could be under a lot of pressure. I mean, they had the you know the down season his first year. They go on to win the Big 12 title his second year, and then they fall back to middle of the pack in their third year. In a year when, I mean, they brought back arguably the best offensive line, the best defensive line, and they couldn't really do anything with it. The defense actually took a step back for the Bears. So that's another team that could be under a lot of pressure as well. Uh, I mean, you could talk coaches and different things like that, but I, I do agree with you that Oklahoma is under a lot of pressure. You get Dylan Gabriel. This is kind of his, his last hurrah in college football. He's got to make a statement before, you know, going off to the NFL. And then I think you're going to give yourself a little bit of leeway when Jackson Arnold takes the reins and kind of first year as a starter going into the sec, things are going to be different. And I mean, I don't think everybody's going to have that same maybe level of expectation, but I think I do think a lot of people expect Oklahoma to get back into the Big 12 title 
conversation uh, this this season. Uh, even though they've had a ton of turnover, I don't I, I don't see many people kind of sitting back and laying back and saying, "Well, Oklahoma is going to be you know seven and six if if they can go seven and six, that's a good year." No, I think most people are are putting Oklahoma in the nine ten win category uh, as we sit here in February. So they, they are under a lot of pressure and Brent Venables is as well, especially when it comes to the Red River showdown. You know, we talked about it in our, you know, one of our shows earlier this week that, you know, the, the way that that transpired isn't necessarily reflective of what Oklahoma was in 2022 yet. That's all that anybody remembers is 49, nothing doesn't matter. Any of the context doesn't matter. They were missing their starting quarterback. doesn't matter that if you can't score and, and your defense sees no hope of you moving the football, and you're having to be on the field for almost the entire game, obviously you're going to get run up on a little bit, especially if you're not a great defense. And so there is a lot of pressure on, on Oklahoma and Brent Venables and Dylan Gabriel to prove that narrative wrong, to prove the 49, nothing wrong. Um, that's just one of those elements that, yeah, Oklahoma is under a lot of pressure. And I would say, you know, nationally Brent Venables to me you know, I don't know. You wouldn't say hot seat going into the season, but you would if things go poorly. If things go so dastardly this season, then look, he, it's not unfathomable that he wouldn't be back as head coach if it's even worse than it was, obviously, uh, in 2022. But, you know, going in, not the not the same type of hot seat as others. I look at just because of what the paychecks are, John, Mel Tucker at Michigan State, ton of pressure for him. And I, you know, looking at the same ESPN story, Jimbo Fisher, yes, is under a lot of pressure at Texas A&M because guess what? Both he and Michigan State, Texas A&M, Michigan State, both five and seven a season ago and terrible in conference, right? And they're clearly below the, I mean, Texas A&M is not even, you know, Michigan State either. But Michigan State, you know, this past season was sort of expected to be right there with Michigan and Ohio State. And if not there, then in that little next tier behind with Penn State, they didn't come close to that. And A&M obviously failed miserably relative to its expectations a season ago. And oh, by the way, you basically have had everybody jumping ship this offseason and probably more to come if things go south again this year. So to me, both Mel Tucker and Jimbo Fisher are under more pressure than Brent Venables. But Brent Venables, you know, if things go south again, he's, he's knocking on the door with those guys. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a results industry. And Brent Venables will be the first person to tell you that if Oklahoma doesn't have the results that show a program in progress and making steps and taking steps back toward title contention, I mean, he'll he'll be the first to tell you that it's a disappointment and it's not a, it's not good enough. Uh, speaking of teams that are maybe under a little bit of pressure, the Oklahoma Sooners softball team is heading out west yet again. This time for the Mary Nutter Classic, coming off their first loss to the Baylor Bears, uh, four to three this past Sunday. They'll open on Friday at two thirty p.m. against Cal State Fullerton. Then they'll play Texas A&M at five. Haley Lee's old school. Then they got the Utah Utes at eleven a.m. Sorry, eleven thirty a.m. on Saturday followed by Loyola, Loyola Marymount, excuse me. Um, and then they play UCLA at 11.30 a.m. Central Time on Sunday. So a big weekend and an opportunity to make a statement uh, for this team. The message from Patty Gasso, what do you think that's going to be for them? You know, What's she trying to uh, instill in them before they, they make those uh, or take on these challengers? Well, I think message number one is 
you're going to get challenged in this Mary Nutter classic. There's, there's some good teams here and I'm not just talking about UCLA. Uh, I don't know what the message would be outside of, Hey, let's go play to our Oklahoma standard because obviously it wasn't that versus Baylor, whether that's just, you know, one bad inning for Jordy ball and you give up a three run Jack and all of a sudden you're in a hole that, you know, whether it's grace lines individually, then in three different situations has runners in scoring position or runners on base and can't quite deliver. If you, you want to point the finger at just one sooner then maybe you could point at that direction, but that's probably unfair to, to single one player out, but just across the board, got to execute better, got to be better and have to have to, play and bat and take pitches, all of those things to the Oklahoma standard that we've been accustomed to. I mean, it's one loss, right? It's like you, you freak out because it's Oklahoma softball and it's, wait a second, they don't lose. They don't lose. But all of that is quickly forgiven and forgotten and everybody's happy and merry and jovial if you go out and you know dominate this Mary Nutter classic. I think for me, what I'm most intrigued to watch, John, is or what I, I, what I think I would say I'm most alarmed by some might say it's the additions to the lineup that haven't haven't quite clicked totally yet. But for me, it's I see a little bit of Jordy Ball's not quite Jordy Ball yet. And so to me, if there's one thing that Oklahoma could take away from this whole trip, it would be that Jordy Ball's unhittable, that we see the Jordy Ball that we saw a year ago when she burst onto the scene versus this UCLA team. So for me, that's kind of where I'm at with softball is show me that. Show me that Jordy Ball that's just flat out unhittable. Yeah, and, and I think for me, it's it's what you talked about with runners in scoring position. It's taking advantage of those opportunities, which they missed out on against Baylor. Again, against a really good Baylor pitcher, but Oklahoma has beaten really good pitchers in the past. And so you just need to see them take advantage of, yeah, just the opportunities to score. And and that's the thing that I'm going to be looking forward to. Uh, seeing somebody provide some power um, that's not just Joc- Jocelyn Erickson, you know, seeing, you know, Grace Lyons get her power stroke going, seeing, uh, you know, Tiara Jennings start to heat up a little bit more. Uh, Alyssa Brito has been fantastic. I want to see her carry over her weekend in Waco with another strong weekend this coming up weekend as well. Um, you know, there's just too many good offensive players for them uh, to get shut out or get shut down when they get runners on base, they were really good with runners in scoring position last year. I expect they'll, they'll find their way and this team will start putting some things together. It's going to be tough. I mean, there's no easy matchup in this, this weekend. And I mean, that's how Patty Gas is going to want it. Uh, but I, all eyes will be on that UCLA matchup. Uh, the number one team in the country now um, after Oklahoma slipped against Baylor. Uh, But that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Sooners. Thanks so much for tuning in, being a part of the show. Make sure you subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and check us out on YouTube as well. Hit the subscribe button, hit that notification button to let you know when new episodes drop. Uh, Make sure you're here for the live show every Monday night, 9 p.m. Central time. Make sure you're following Josh on Twitter at Josh on ref, myself at John nine Williams. You can follow the show on Twitter at locked on Sooners and locked on Sooners podcast on Facebook. Uh, Again, thank you so much. Until next time, he's Josh Helmer. I'm John Williams. We'll catch you then. Boomer Sooner.